Hey, it's Lynn Galadner, and this is the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm founder of the Your People Marketing and PR Agency, and I lead the Make Meaning Movement, a platform that helps purpose-driven visionaries and leaders do business with meaning. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of how people dare to take chances to live the life they want with meaningful work and purposeful days. There are many ways to fill your life with meaning. Join us at makemeaning.org to learn more. Now, on to the show. Today's guest on the Make Meaning podcast is Katie Yamasaki. Katie is a muralist and children's book artist devoted to using art as a platform for dialogue building and storytelling. A native of Metro Detroit, Katie now lives in Brooklyn, New York, but her roots go deep in my city, which is adorned with powerful murals of her making and the legacy of her family. Katie is the granddaughter of Minoru Yamasaki, the Detroit architect famous for the World Trade Center and Detroit's One Woodward Avenue. In seventh grade, she spoke up in school about the horrors of the internment camps for Japanese Americans during World War II, despite denial from her teacher. She uses her art to speak out and speak up, and I am so honored to welcome Katie Yamasaki to the Make Meaning Podcast. Katie Yamasaki, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so impressed with how you have poured your talent and passion into your art and built it into a platform for change and for dialogue, which is really why I wanted to invite you onto the podcast. So I'd love to hear how and where this all began. I wonder if you would start by taking me back to your childhood and those first moments of your artistic awakening. Oh, sure. Um, well, you know, I grew up in a pretty artistic family on my father's side. Um, my Both my grandparents were artists. My grandfather was an architect and my grandmother was a pianist. Mm-hmm. And um, then my mother was a first grade and kindergarten teacher. And I think that like, as much as there were a lot of artists in the family, we also have musicians and photographers in the family and things like that. Yeah. Um, my mother kind of always had stuff for us to make. So um, we were always, even if it was like baking or sewing or painting, you know, she let, they let us paint the windows. There was a room, we had a very old house that was kind mm-hmm. of always under construction. And there was a room in that house where we were allowed to draw on the walls. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, so that was kind of like, that was the room where we could do that. And the wall, the walls were completely covered in drawings. And, um, you know, we, we grew up kind of just like that, but making was a part of everyday life. And, mm-hmm nearby to where we grew up was a Detroit Institute of Arts. And so Diego Rivera's master painting, as you know, is there, um, the the Detroit Industries mural. And so there was always kind of like a language for art and a space for art. And I'm really lucky to kind of be from a family where there are a lot of people who've made their living doing art. So it wasn't a stretch for anybody in my family to know that like, that's something that you could do and also that you could kind of have a meaningful life making art. So um, I don't know when the awakening was because I didn't actually study art formally until I was in college. I I was actually a little intimidated by the success of my family, the artists (laughs) in my family. So like my grandfather, especially my uncle who won the Pulitzer Prize for documentary photography. So I (laughs) I kind of thought I'm going to be a social worker. And um, I I went to college to pursue social work, but um, But when I got there, I really didn't like the classes and I didn't really like the kind of the kind of approach. And I thought I wanted to do something else. And I started taking drawing classes when I was 19. 
Mm-hmm. And I was terrible. I was like the worst one in the class because even with all of the stuff I grew up around, I really didn't pursue any kind of formal art mm-hmm. at all as a child. Um, I was doing kind of more the craft types of things with my mom. But but when I got to college, I liked drawing so much. I loved it so much that it didn't really matter that I found it completely embarrassing because I was the worst one in the class. So I just <laughs> kind of kept at it. So so I think actually, like in a lot of ways, you know, there were these small awakenings as a child, the art is just a part of your life, but it wasn't until I got to college when I was like, oh, I actually want to do something with this. There's so much there that I want to talk about. I mean, first of all, I wonder if just by making it a part of your life and not making it sort of a formal pursuit when you were growing up and becoming the person you were meant to be, was that maybe a gift because it wasn't like inhibiting or judging your talent. It was just like express there's freedom here. You know, it doesn't matter. Um, just have fun with it. And so like who you are and your voice could just come through. Do you think that was the benefit? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other side of that, be, I think that like, you know, you kind of grow into that as just a part of like who you are making things becomes a part of who you are. But um, the piece about putting the pressure of having to be good just wasn't there. So I kind of got to develop a solid sense of myself as a person without the pressure that people can be put under as young people to be really good at something, you know, um, to be like little prodigies at art or music or whatever. I never had that. So I, um, I kind of came into it on my own. And I think that what I grew first is this really um, strong interest and commitment to people's stories Mm-hmm. And um, that was something that I pursued through through college, you know, and just kind of really learning about the world that we live in and trying to like um, listen to people's stories. And then later I kind of found that like art could be an effective tool for me to share those stories. Yeah. Yeah. I do think, you know, I'm a writer first and foremost, and I okay. have always felt like I write to make sense of the world. It was just right. sort of, even from a young age, you know, just with the journal or, you know, something that I would just jot down stories. And it was just sort of the way that I worked out my experiences or interactions or dialogue or whatever. And, and again, it wasn't with any pressure or like, you know, I wasn't seeking a Pulitzer. I was like a kid just writing, you know. Right. Um, but the funny thing is that when I, I ended up doing an MFA in creative writing and when I was applying to grad school, my parents were like, we'll pay for law school. And I'm like, okay, but pay for the MFA, it's like a quarter right. of the price. And, you know, and I know like they were just looking to, to find security for me and they, they were worried, you know, but it was just a hard mountain to climb. You know what I mean? It is hard. I mean, I definitely knew it was what I wanted to do, but I think that like this, the other side of that was that I just had to do so many other jobs to make it happen. So like, I'm 44 now, but like through my twenties and thirties, I had so many part-time jobs and I would kind of work at those just as much as I needed to, to pay all my bills. Hmm. And then I would save every other moment, um, to be at my studio and like to be working on whatever other projects I was working on that I really wanted to do. And so I um, was a teacher for 14 years. I taught two years full-time and then 12 years, um, two days a week at the same school. And, you know, and then I taught Pilates and I, I've, I've always had a lot of jobs. And mm-hmm. so I kind of would do that to, um, to make ends meet so that I wouldn't have to like take art jobs that weren't what I wanted to do. Sure. Sure. You know, and I think that like there were, there are pluses and minuses. I went to school with a lot of people who were really good graphic designers and really good kind of, um, art directors and things like that. And so they right away out of grad school, they had a way to make a good living. 
I did not, you know, I, I had this patchwork way of like making a patchwork living and going to the dentist on Groupon coupons and like (laughs) stuff like that. And, you know, it just kind of slowly over time, you know, some people make it right away. I did not, but I had a lot of work and murals, um, a lot of murals pay really poorly, but they matter so much to me. So I was like, kind of, it, it, it worked enough. And um, I would, anytime I would travel for a project, I would rent out my apartment on Craigslist and I kind of would just do whatever I had to do to kind of make ends meet so that I could do the projects that I wanted to do. And now it's kind of like balancing out, you know, all these years later, but, um, it's definitely a long, or at least for me, it was a long path to get here. And I mean, long is relative. I'm 44, which for some people seems really old and for other people seems really young. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's interesting though. I'm so glad you said that because, you know, we talk a lot in the make meaning movement, which this podcast sort of grew that, you know, sometimes what you love to do and what you're put here to do, it's okay if it's not your main source of income. Like that that may just be the reality, but at least you're doing it and making an impact. And I'm so glad to hear that that persistence paid off, but that it's really, it's it's just really heartening and encouraging to know that other people who have achieved such success like you have had to cobble together jobs to get there. So yeah, that's, that's really heartening for our listeners. Well, I think one thing, you know, for some reason in art school, at least in the, the MFA program that I was at and kind of the culture of MFA programs that I experienced was that like um, a lot of people had the attitude that you don't really want to teach or do community art, that in the totem pole and the hierarchy of, of art making, um, fine art is at the top and community art and teaching is at the bottom. And okay. I never felt that way. And I mm-hmm. felt like um, teaching is a great thing to be able to do. It is certainly exhausting, but it is like, um, to me, it kind of grew my practice and oh. because it kind of, it just kind of gave me constant interaction with the world, constant perspective and so many stories. And I've, you know, I've collaborated a lot with my students and former students and, um, And, you know, I think one experience I had was I was doing a project in Cuba and in Cuba, like to be the art teacher is like a pretty revered place in society. Like they have specialized schools for art education. And um, yeah, and I think that like here, if you're running an MFA program or if you're something like that, it's kind of high up, but it didn't necessarily feel like that was the goal. A lot of the, a lot of the, I don't know how it is at a writing program, but at a like an illustration or an MFA program, you're really trying to make your full-time living doing just that. And I think that like, if you have a little bit more of an open mind about what it means to kind of like who your collaborators are and who are the people that you want to experience your work and share your work with, the whole world becomes open in terms of like what your work is for and who your work is for and what is the meaning behind all of it. Because I think if you say, I just want my work to appear in these certain magazines, or I just want my work to be in these certain galleries, it's so limiting. But if you're kind of like, my partners are everybody, my partners are teachers, my partners are kids, my partners are uh, incarcerated people, my partners are museum heads, the art world and your world and the regular world are all the same place. So you don't have to strive to join a world that isn't naturally a part of, you know, your day-to-day life. You just bring art to where you are already. So I had been teaching so much. So it was kind of like, okay, well, you're my students of, you know, a million years. I'm just going to, we're going to do this together. So I did projects with my students. I did projects with other students. And I think sometimes the places where people are uh, 
less likely to be asked to be your partner. They make the best partners. You know, I've never had more meaningful, creative kind of partnership than when I've been in working inside of like a prison or a detention center, because that's like the art expression. You know, there aren't all these options. That's like, this is the way to kind of say what you need to say. Here it is, you know, and so people are all in. Yeah. Yeah. I've always wanted to do a book about like voices across borders, you know, Mm -hmm. really visiting refugee camps and talking with people and getting their, their stories. Yeah, exactly. You're right. So giving a platform and a venue and and a loudspeaker, like say, here, we hear you. Absolutely. Right. right. Thank you for that. Yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the form of mural. And so I know that you've painted more than 80 walls and communities around the world. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what does the art form of mural do for a community? And then what does it do for you, the artist? You know, it's that's a great question. And it's so interesting because I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I had an, an exhibit in January that was like a retrospective of the last 18 years of making murals. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know, you there's there are like different components to the answer to that question because on the one hand like when you're doing a mural in a community physically painting on site at the wall and you have done the participatory work of generating the concept for the mural within the community um, so the idea and the imagery really reflects who you're working with um, and then they are also engaged in the painting they're engaged in the um, like the dialogue with the community around the creation of the project so that there's like a big part that is kind of like um, creating a space for dialogue. You know, the painting of a mural is a big kind of like dialogue maker because it is like this random act that kind of forces people out of their day-to-day life and kind of like gets them off their phone. And then all of a sudden you're talking to somebody on the street about whatever the topic of that mural might be. So that's one thing, you know, and then, and then the mural, when you're done, it kind of like lives on the street by itself. Mm-hmm. until something happens. Maybe the neighborhood gets gentrified or, or another mural gets painted on top of it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and it's hard to know and it's hard to measure impact. And I think that like, um, I always think about the participants and my like my partners and all of these projects because you do wonder what has happened afterwards because, yeah. and, and I think a lot of the time when um, I'm doing some kind of presentation or something, people ask me like, talk about the lives of the people who you've worked with, how they've been changed by the mural. And, mm-hmm. and I feel like, unfortunately, or, you know, a, mu- a mural, no matter how great it is or how meaningful it was, it is like one piece of a very large puzzle. So mm-hmm. like if you know, a young person has a wonderful experience on a mural, that's great. And maybe it provided summer employment, maybe it provided a space to express something mm-hmm. really important. And maybe it provided a clarity in terms of identity and that type of thing. And that's huge. Yeah. And maybe that student then re- returns in the fall to an underfunded school, or maybe like, for example, there, my like most crushing example is like, there was a young woman I worked with who, um, I worked with from the time she was 14 to 19 and then she continued, I continued to mentor her through her twenties. I like did like, I went through all of her college applications with her. I did her college visit because she couldn't go. It was in Mm. California and she was here. Like we were very close, but she struggled her entire teenage life and into her twenties with addiction. And that was part of her everyday environment. And she had tremendous experiences at the murals, you know, like Mm -hmm. she, she was the star participant. She was beloved by every part, every other person on the team, by every community partner. Mm-hmm. She was such a meaningful contributor. Um, but she eventually 
she was overcome by her addiction and she died, mm-hmm. you know, and um, it's crushing. I, I used to literally text her every morning to be like, go to school, get up, go to school, go to school. But mm-hmm. it's not like a, a mural or any one single thing can be a bandaid on a society that kind of like puts black and brown people, poor people at the bottom forever and every other way, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that like, so I think that um, a mural or a book or any, any single endeavor is one piece of a puzzle, but it's like, I never want it to be like people feel a little too good about commissioning a mural or a little too good about publishing a book that, that they start to let up in other arenas because yeah. like you see, for example, like you, you kind of, you see like in a really decrepit, run down, overcrowded, poorly funded uh, public housing project, a beautiful mural get painted on the side. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's great. But what about like the air filtration in that building? What about the broken elevators? Yeah. What about like the, um, the lack of security and also the fact of tens of thousands of people being packed into a single building, yeah. you know, yeah. like, so, so, so it's kind of like, um, mural. it's like with murals being really careful about how the community partner, how the com- person commissioning the mural is using that mural mm-hmm. to um, position themselves in terms of like, this is what we're doing. And it's like, it can, it is, a mural is never going to be enough. It is an important, it is a piece. And I, and I like to think it's an important piece, but it is a single piece of a, of a giant puzzle yeah. that has to work together, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That that's a lot to think about. And you're absolutely right. I mean, there's so many systemic issues that, you know, painting a beautiful mural, even one that gets us talking and realizing truths that we didn't want to face is is not going to fix those. I mean, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I got a I got sorry to interrupt. I got a an email recently from a woman. I did a project um in 2013, working with incarcerated mothers at Rikers Island and then their kids in East Harlem. And like, they kind of designed murals for each other. And then Mm. the kids painted the murals that the moms designed for them in East Harlem. And the moms painted the mural that the kids designed for them inside of their facility at Rikers. And it was a beautiful project, Yeah. but, um, you know, I got a, and I got an email like about a month ago from a woman who had participated in that project. And now she's out and she's reunited with her daughter. Mm -hmm. And she was, she said like that, like she was, that that had been a really bright light in a the, the darkest moment of her life. And, mm-hmm. you know, that means so much to me. And, yeah. um, you know, I think what I love about like stuff like this podcast and, um, and anytime, even like social media, is it like, when I think about promoting my work, is that what I hope is that more people will do that and be like, you know, I want to work inside of the detention centers. I want to work with like women who've been victims of domestic violence who've been then criminalized because of it, you know, like, cause it's, yeah. it's never going to be enough for one person or, you know, like even like the, the kind of comrades that I have in this effort, like <laughs> it needs to be so much bigger. Yeah. No, I so, totally get it. I totally got it. I actually interviewed a writer in South Dakota many months ago, Jim Reese, um, an episode that I'll put in the show notes. And he is a professor of writing and he has books out, but he also teaches in federal prisons. Uh-huh. And, you know, the writing program is is a really important uh, therapeutic piece and also yeah. just just voice piece, platform piece for the the people he works with because um, you know they can work out so many things through the writing, and then the writing is beautiful and it's an yeah. important yeah story we need to hear. So that's such an important part of his work, which is really why I, sh- I put him on the show because 
although he did a million wonderful things, that was the uh-huh. most interesting to me, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 There's a lot, I mean, it's like, there's so much work to be done and it's just at every level and you just, you know, hope that it did seem like with some of the uprisings this summer that like, um, a broader swaths of society were starting to kind of see diff- their roles and where they can kind of be accountable, you know, and yeah. how it goes beyond just like, you know, for example, like a fancy hotel putting black lives matter in their windows, you know, like yeah. how, yeah. So I don't know. I like, I, I, I believe in the power of, of story so much. Um, and I believe that it has its place and it's, but it's like, there is no single thing. It has to be such a, such an effort by the whole. Absolutely. Multi-platform, multi-message, um, just however we can reach people, whether it's visual or written or economic or, you know, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. All at the same time. Yeah. So I want to bring it home to my hometown of Detroit because I know yeah. there are several of your original murals here. Yeah. Um, I think there's one at the Boggs School, and I actually there are two at the Boggs School. Yeah. Okay. I know the principal well. My youngest went to school with her son for a long time, okay. and um, and then I know there's one at the Capuchin Soup Kitchen. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. There are a couple there too. Yep. Couple they there too. Ed, with. Detroit Catholic Pastoral Alliance has been a long-term partner of mine. They, and it's at their, they have a couple of head starts over there. Infinity okay. Head Start 1 and Infinity Head Start 2. But they're a wonderful partner. Awesome. And then at the Bog School, I did one when they did a, um, kind of when they were starting their school, just as like a, almost like a, this, uh, an image they could use as a promotional piece that's on mm-hmm. a building on Brainerd in second. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then, um yeah, some inside the building and the entrance and one in the library. And then, um, yeah. And then the Trayvon Martin piece. Yeah. I was good. I know there was a tribute to Trayvon Martin. There was one to Dr. King. Um, tell me about your locations and subject matter in Detroit and, you know, how, how you choose the focus for the murals too. Yeah. Well, um, the Trayvon Martin piece has a quote from Dr. King. So those are the same okay. piece, but, um, Got it. okay. But the, um, yeah, you know, I think that that happened. That's also right behind the Detroit Catholic Pastoral Alliance. Their offices, mm-hmm. they they're like really great at finding walls for me. And um, <laughs> that one was, you know, George Zimmerman had just been acquitted. And I think, um, you know, I think that I was like a lot of people just trying to think about what to do. You know, yeah. what can you do? And I think that one thing I felt was that I wanted to honor his life and also mark it in a way that wasn't in a digital platform like fast moving image, you know, I think that there's something about painting a mural that is so, um, slow and analog and kind of like, um, exists in the physical space that we also exist in. And it kind of takes people off the screen, you know, and, um, I think that the, there's something about our attention span that's, that's being altered every day by, um, by, you know, flipping through Instagram and, you know, like by just being online and the, the still image, I don't know. There's a certain power to it. And I mean, it was just, that was as, as well as every other murder, you know, by, of a, of a black life in particular, like Mm -hmm. it's just so brutal and so criminal and so wrong. And, um, you know, that was, um, that was one I just felt like I wanted to put it up so it would be there for a long time because I think the newsfeed sometimes feels like it just moves past things much faster than, um, than it should. Yeah. you know? Yeah. So, um, and you know, that was a, that was a, uh, felt like a special moment too, because they, when I was painting it, the, um, 
kind of love I got from people driving by was amazing. And, mm-hmm. um, and then it hasn't been touched. I was painted in 2013 and it looks, I mean, the colors are a little bit faded, but it looks exactly how it was. And that's a super heavily graffiti area of the city. Uh-huh. So, huh. um, you know, I think that that's like, uh, I, I appreciate that, but, um, it seemed like in, in line with, um, what people, wanted to see, you know, it's, yeah. it, it, there is a moment where you're just like, how could I paint anything else? Right. You know, right. like, what else am I going to paint right now? You know? Yeah. How do you choose the focus for a mural? So I know that a lot are commissioned, but when they commission it, you know, are they very, very specific? Like we want exactly this and exactly these colors and, or, you know, do you f- sort of work with them to figure out the best message and image? You know, how does that work? Yeah. Usually, um, what happens is they'll be interested in um, me working with their community to, to do a piece. So um, sometimes it'll be along the lines of like a very specific concept. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, during the war in Iraq, like the militarization of inner city youth, how inner city youth are exploited at wartime to go to mm-hmm. war. Yeah. Um, something like that, or sometimes, but actually even that one, um, it really, the concept um what I try to do as many times as possible, if not every time is let the concept for the mural come from the community. Mm -hmm. So whoever I'm working with, they decide the content because like, who am I to go in and tell people this is what we're supposed to do the mural about? (laughs) You know, this is, I don't, I don't know you, I don't live here. So we're going to do the mural about this, but sometimes it'll be like aligned with like a specific, maybe there's like a conference on domestic violence and indigenous communities, or maybe there's like, you know, like if it's, more like, okay, you're working with teenage boys who are in detention centers, then it'll be kind of like go in there in there and like do workshops and kind of try to get at the heart of what do you guys want to talk about? You know, here's an opportunity to kind of have a voice in the community. We're going to paint this mural outside in the community. What do you want to say? Yeah. You know, and so try to get at that. So usually like nine times out of 10, that's where the concept comes from or 99 times out of hundred, it comes from working with the community to figure out what they want to say. Sometimes the commissioning group, like if it's like a foundation or something, they'll be like, we want to communicate our mission. Like that's, you know, that's often what happens. We want to commit, communicate our mission. And then what that will mean is that I'm, that I'm working with like their grantee partners or their staff or whatever to kind of get at what does that mission mean? You know, if I'm working with a public hospital or something, they might say, we are, we have an initiative to like, um, talk about like, movement and wellness in um, diverse communities and what, what that means to different people from different cultures or something like that. So, so those are all like super specific examples, but everyone is really different, but the best projects uh, are generated. The ideas are generated by the people who the mural is about. So the idea is that like the mural should be about the people, it should like the ideas and like the concept and the theme and the imagery should be generated in large part by the people who the mural is about, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, definitely. Like by and for. Got it. So they may not know how to paint, but they can kind of have, um, have autonomy over like how they're depicted and what they're doing and what the mood is and all of those things. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I'm a parent of four teenagers. I know you're, a Oh mom. my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Busy, very busy. Yeah. Lots of voices in this house, but, um, you know, I know that, um, a lot of times parents and teachers are pushing STEM careers because Uh they believe, you know, there's going to be work and success and, and it'll be lucrative. And, you know, I just wonder how we can encourage young people to entertain their artistic talents and use their voices and their skills to make change. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think a lot of it um, comes from encouraging like 
encourage, yes, on the one, on the one side, encouraging young people to feel freedom to kind of like explore their interests and figure out where their interests and their, where they're like, what they like to do with what they care about overlap. But then on the flip side of that is encouraging anybody we know in any sector of society to see the arts and like um, voice and expression as a critical part to their work as well. You know, and I think that like, um, more and more, a lot of organizations and even corporations, um, foundations, they're all kind of like finding ways to incorporate art making or creativity or even creative thinking into their, um, into their work life. Cause I think it, um, improves, it improves their work when they're able to kind of like activate the, that creative thinking part of the brain of the, of the people who work there. Yeah. So it's like creating those jobs too. And I think for young people, you know, like what I did was I kind of like figured out what I wanted to do. And then I like forced my way into these organizations to make them feel like this is what you need. So I, I wasn't going to galleries and being like, I want you to show my paintings and competing against a bunch of other artists. I was like going to social service agencies and being like, do you want to be my partner? I'm going to try to fundraise for this. We can fundraise together Mm -hmm. to do this specific project. So it's like putting your work in the places that you care about. Yeah. Um, so I think it's like really thinking creatively. Um, cause like I definitely also always wanted to pursue children's books and I do that a lot now. Like I have a lot more books kind of happening, but, um, mm-hmm. but that took a lot longer for me to, um, break into because that's just a narrower path. Yeah. It's like, I want to do books. This is the way you do it the, yes. for me, at least I wasn't self-publishing. So I was like, I want to do books and I want to do them in this way. And these are the books that I want to make. So it was a pretty narrow lane. Yeah. Um, but like with the murals and stuff, it was more just like, I need to find people who believe in what I'm doing and then I'm going to work with them and work with their community to kind of make it happen. And that's kind of how I built my body of work. And it's not an easy way to make a living, which is why I had all those other jobs yeah. all the time. But, um, yeah. but eventually, but meaningful. <laughs> eventually, yeah, meaning totally meaningful. And I think that like, I was always, I always gave myself a project, even if it wasn't a paid project, I would always be working on either a book that I really cared about Mm -hmm. or uh, like a painting project or something like that, that I really cared about. And I would work on them for years with like a certain amount of urgency. So Mm -hmm. I never felt like I was wasting my time, you know, even if I was working at a gym or something like that, I never felt like I was wasting my time because I was just working there so I could have enough time to get to my studio and like, and do what I really wanted to do. Absolutely. Well, I know that your work is really wrapped up in social justice. And so um, in my research, you know, I learned that you've done murals for Amnesty International and for health departments and museums mm-hmm. and departments of education and and so many other outlets. I'm wondering what resonates so wholly with you with these organizations that they want to send a message in such a profound and powerful display through mur- mural art, you know, what do you believe yeah. is that connection and, and why does that resonate so much for these organizations or foundations? I think that like in a mural, you're often telling like a really specific story. And, um, but when you tell that specific story, it's amazing to see how people will relate it to themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like I did a mural at the Japanese American National Museum, you know, it was really specific to like, the design was specific to kind of like Japanese American Mm-hmm. culture and legacy and identity and kind of vision for the future and also relationship to other ethnic groups um, and cultural organizations. But like the people who would be relating to it, they were relating to a feeling that mm-hmm. they got from it. And I think that like when you are really specific in your imagery and in your story, that amount of specificity can kind of really create a feeling 
that is much more universal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, the details of our day to day might be a little bit different, mm-hmm. but like the feelings that we have are not that different. You know, so the details of the Japanese American legacy might be pretty different than other legacies, but the feelings that those certain events created are very mm-hmm. can be very relatable. You know, yeah. and some some projects are like also just they really do remind you of like the interconnectedness of all of us. And like, you know, when I've worked with um, incarcerated women or worked with their kids painting on the street, the amount of people who would stop by to talk to these kids and talk to me about the project and about the issue of like incarcerated mothers in particular, not because their mom had been incarcerated or like they had a daughter who was incarcerated or something, but because they, they understood the, the seriousness of, having a mother separated from her child, especially when, you know, related to these issues of criminalizing poverty and criminalizing domestic violence and things like that. So yeah. um, people relate to human stories and especially when there's like an approachable way to talk about them, which is the creation of a mural. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I think it just, it just kind of like puts you in a place in time for long enough that you can have those conversations. I did a mural, that mural for amnesty was like, I was um, seven months pregnant with my son at that mm. time. And, um, and the woman that I was painting, she had had a, she had been uh, pregnant in El Salvador and then had experienced a stillbirth in the ninth month of her pregnancy and then been incarcerated for infanticide for, oh. I think her sentence was, it was either 20 or 30 years. And she was oh. like seven years into her sentence. I mean, brutal. And there were about 16 oh or 17 gosh. other women in El Salvador for that exact same reason. And so people were like, what do you relate to? What do you, you know, why are you doing this? Cause you're pregnant or whatever. And I was, I, I related to her just in the fact that like, I just cared about her, but I, you know, I was like, I have all of the prenatal care. I have all of the support that I could possibly need, you know, and, and, but I was just kind of doing it because I cared about her story. But then later in the ninth month of my pregnancy, unfortunately, I also suffered a stillbirth oh, and so it was like so wildly um, painful and coincidental Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, I couldn't even talk about it for like at least a year or two. I could not even mm-hmm. talk about that coincidence, but yeah. it was kind of like the idea then that like you could, after I experienced that, the idea that you could be punished right. for that right. was it's to this day can make me weep, you know, unbelievable. Yeah. I'm so sorry that happened. That's oh, thanks. horrible. Oh, goodness. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it, and it kind of like, it definitely like informs a lot of life, but it also keeps so many things in perspective because like, even though that happened and it was the worst thing that has ever happened to me, like I had amazing medical care. I had a supportive community. I had, you know, I had like my work, I had like a life full of love and support still. She was sent to prison, Mm -hmm. you know, and then she was there for years and like missed her other sons, her living son's childhood. You know, and like, so it kind of like more, like, I think all of these stories, they just make you want to keep going. Yeah. I mean, and just remember the humanity that lives in all of us, that it doesn't matter our external factors. When we actually sit across from someone and look eye to eye, we are exactly the same. Yeah. It's just, you know, how can you not care? How can you not want to fix things and make sure that everybody has what they need and safety, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Gosh. I mean, yeah. I think about that. Like I see all these pictures of like 
migrants during coronavirus, like yeah. trying to get back to Venezuela from Colombia or vice versa and like pregnant and like, or Syrian refugees pregnant. Like, and I just think like how, you know, how is this happening, you know? And um, so there's so much perspective to be had at every, at every turn. And so it's kind of just like trying to figure out what to do in the midst of it. You know, yeah. there's, yeah. Cause the need can become overwhelming, but it's also, I think I try to like choose a few projects to focus on and then be like, this is where I'm going to stay right now. Otherwise like the, um, the need can be so overwhelming that it could, it could almost be paralyzing. I've never felt that, but like, I can yeah. imagine that it would be, it could be paralyzing if you let the, if you let the reality of all that need sink in. Yeah. Well, you can't look at the big picture global, yeah. you know, oh my goodness type of story. You have to be like, what can I do right now, right here? Yeah. And like yeah. one story at a time, one mural at a time, one person at a time and yeah. just, you know, okay, put my, put my talents and skills and my privilege to work right. in front of me right. so that I can chip away at it. And hopefully yeah. in the end of my life, I've done something, you know, yeah, I right. mean, exactly. that's the, exactly. hope. <laughs> that's the yeah, hope. Exactly. So on a lighter note, um, I'm wondering if you could paint any mural in any location, what would it be and where? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, like, you know, it's funny that I have no idea, but um, <laughs> I, I always, I love working in prisons, but I, in an ideal world, there are no prisons. So um, I don't know, you know, I think that like the idea is always to like bring the work where there isn't, where there isn't any, you know? So I don't know exactly where that would be, but um, yeah, I mean, that's like such a fun question that I have no answer for. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I caught you off guard there. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. I would love to know. I think that like the, what I love about this work though, is that like every project that comes my way kind of opens me up to an entire world that I don't know anything about. And so I guess that that world probably, I don't know anything about it yet, whatever, whatever that mural might be right now. I'm painting close to home. You know, I have a three-year-old and um, so I'm on a really like scheduled day and I drop her off at school and then I paint during the day and then I go pick her up. And it's like, um, I'm not doing much like in terms of traveling projects when she gets older, sure. I'm, I'm sure I will. But um, yeah. I, I think that also the thing that I'm always thinking about is how to have the most impact. So I think it's like working with really specific communities, de- really deliberately with specific communities and then finding ways to get the those stories out most widely so that it can have the most impact. And I don't know if that's through murals or if that's through curriculum or if that's through um you know, some kind of campaign. I don't know. Sure. Um, but it, I'm sure it involves a lot of people, but I'm r- right now. I actually, I have a new commission that I'm really excited about and it's for like the next, um, three to four years to work with this group that I love called the women in justice project. And they're working to end the mass incarceration of women, but they work on issues specific, uh, to, um, incarcerated women and families impacted by incarceration. So I'm going to be doing a project with incarcerated women and formerly incarcerated women and then the children who've been impacted by that. Um, but we don't know what the project is going to be yet. So we're, which is an exciting place to be where where you're kind of thinking about exactly this question, like what should we do with it? But they're like my, my favorite partner to work with. And, um, so I'm just trying to figure that out right now. Awesome. Awesome. Well, on this show, we always focus about how people find meaning and work and purpose in life. And I I usually ask my guests to offer some wisdom or advice to our listeners that gives them permission to go in search of their purpose. So I just wonder 
if you had any, you know, parting words of advice, um, you know, to sort of encourage people listening to go out and find their meaning and then, you know, put it to work for them. Yeah. I think that like the thing that's helped me most is something that um, my first mentor told me, Ed Young, he's a children's book illustrator. Mm -hmm. He told me in the beginning, he said, most of your drawings should be bad, which was reassuring because most of my drawings were really terrible. So (laughs) he said, most of your drawings should be bad because that means you're constantly learning. He was like, we just have to keep drawing. And I think that like the permission to um, not be good at what you love doing Mm -hmm. is very liberating. Um, because you don't have to be good at it. Like you just have to do it and like keep doing it. And also like that, if you're going to teach somebody something, you don't have to be an expert at it. You just need to know it a little bit more than they know it and then just share Uh what you know. So I think that like murals, if you're a perfectionist murals and pretty much everything is going to be really brutal because you can't be perfect because they're too big. They take too long. They'll take you your entire life if you're going to be perfect. So I think that like letting yourself not be good at and make lots of mistakes at the thing that you really love. Um, mm-hmm. And in the pursuit of, you know, finding, finding meaningful work and finding a meaningful path is liberating. Don't expect to be good at it or don't worry about it if you're not. I love it. You know, I'm, I'm just, I have a book coming out in 2021 and I've just been going through the proof with my publisher and I, I'm sitting there really critical and thinking, who's going to read this? And and this is terrible. And, you know, yeah, I'm sure totally. it's not, but I mean, that's how I feel. And I'm like, oh, why, why should this be in the world? And so you just made me feel a little bit better about that. Oh my <laughs> I really God. appreciate My that. first mural, I like, I saw it once the scaffolding, when the scaffolding's up, you basically can't see it at all. It looks like a construction site. So the scaffolding came down. I saw it once and then I didn't go back for like two months because I was oh. like, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> like, and it wasn't something I could tuck under my bed or something. It was like... <laughs> up this 60 by 40 foot giant mural in a really busy street. And, um, and then my dad told me, this is another really good piece of advice. He said at the dedication, you know, like there were some things about it that I felt like technically I was disappointed in how they turned out. And I just felt like, Oh, I should have done it this way. Or I should have, you know, like these little details, but we had the dedication and it was really, you know, by and for this group of teenage girls that I worked with for years. And it was the first one we did. And they, they were at the dedication, like weeping, like at how meaningful mm. it was for them to like have this space to, um, to like be seen and to like be able to have their voice be heard. And the name of the series was actually voices heard, but, mm. but like they gave these really moving speeches. And then after the, after the dedication, I was talking to my dad and I was like, yeah, I just wish that this had turned out this way, whatever. And he was like, but you know, this is not about you. Right. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, like that's very liberating. And I would say like the same thing with your book. Like, your book is going to be about how your readers engage with it. You know, it's going to be about their experience with it. So it's a little bit relief of a relief yeah. that you don't have to worry about that. That's you true. Know? Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to reading. Yeah. Yeah. I will make sure you get a copy. Absolutely. Thanks. Absolutely. Thanks. Well, Katie Yamasaki, it's been such a delight to speak with you. I'm so grateful for you coming on the Make Meaning podcast. Thank you. I'm grateful for the experience to um, talk with you and to just kind of get to relive all these stories. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard here, join us over at makemeaning.org to discover how you can add more meaning to your life. And hey, if you like our conversations, please subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world.